Welcome to another episode of the Sly Hooper Podcast brought to you by the Blue Wire Hustle Podcast Network. This is going to be a quick reaction podcast to Game 6 of the NBA Finals in which the Milwaukee Bucks won 105-98. to And the Bucks are your NBA champions. I mean, I don't think anybody expected this before the season started, but um, we're here right now. The Bucks beat out the Suns in six, and Giannis is now, at this point, the best player on the planet. And I mean, there's really no other place to start than Giannis. I mean, really just spectacular one of the best finals performances I have seen from a singular player in my lifetime and I've seen Kobe perform in the finals Dwayne Wade perform in the finals in 06 specifically Dirk Nowitzki went on that insane playoff run we've seen LeBron James in the finals 10 times I mean the stats are just mind-blowing 32.5 points per game, 13.2 rebounds per game, 5 assists per game, over 1 steal per game, nearly 2 blocks per game on 61.8% shooting from the field. And the Suns had absolutely no answer for that man. Oh, and then, you know, in game 6, he drops 50, 14, 5 blocks. The first 50-point game in a closeout finals game in, what, 60 years? I mean, the guy was just absolutely dominant. And it was fitting that he dominated on a night where we really just... And this is the only time I'm going to reference Twitter on this podcast, especially for this episode. But on a night where the Twitter discourse just went haywire yesterday with, you know, some ill-faith, ill-timed, um, poor faith, I should say, conversations about hoopers versus basketball players, even though we all really know what that means. And I got the genesis of what those people were trying to say. It's just still really stupid. I mean, I can understand where somebody's coming from and still think it's stupid, right? Um, really, it was just aesthetics Twitter and bag Twitter just getting in a tizzy over the fact that Giannis is now an NBA champion but enough about that the Milwaukee Bucks I never one I never understood why people thought the Suns would I picked the Suns in six so I'm not even going to sit here and act like I'm taking a victory lap thinking that I'm right really I'm I was wrong on this series I thought the Suns were the better team I thought the Suns were going to win in six, but it turns out Milwaukee was the better team. They had the better players. But it's not like I didn't think the Bucks had no shot at winning this series. I actually picked the Suns in six because if this game went to seven, to a seventh game, then it was just going to be a coin flip game, and at that point, either team would win. I just thought if the Suns were going to win this series, it was going to be in six. Fully aware of the fact that the Bucks had a legit shot at winning this series because, one, they walked into the series with the best player clearly in the series, and that bore out as the series wore on. But 
really, if you look at it, and it kind of was highlighted as the series went along, the Bucks just have three guys that could get their own shot and create off the dribble and create points, manufacture points outside of the flow of the offense. I mean, we all saw, we all know the Bucks' transition numbers in this series. They've been astounding in transition. The half-court offense kind of leveled out to average towards the end, but the Bucks really just have three guys that could create while the Suns have two, and one of them is a 36-year-old, six-foot-on-a-good-day point guard in Chris Paul. But man, I just don't know what to say about Giannis. I've been a huge Giannis guy. I've been a huge Giannis guy basically... I'm not going to say since his rookie year because what we saw was a raw rookie. I mean, he averaged, what, like 7-4 and four as a rookie. But the minute he grew to 6'11", he started putting on weight, started putting some things together, figuring out how he can impact the game. It just became apparent that the Bucks had something on their hands, and I've been a big fan of Giannis. And it's just it's, – it all culminated with a championship. And let me just – read off the accolades first before I go into what I saw in this series. Giannis already, before the age of 27, he doesn't turn 27 until December 6th. Champion, finals MVP, two-time back-to-back MVP, defensive player of the year, three-time All-NBA first team, two-time All-NBA second team, three-time All-Defensive first team, and made the second team all defense once, and that was in 2016-17 before he became the full-fledged superstar that we now know and love. The Suns had no answer for that man, and even the Suns' only answer, DeAndre Ayton, couldn't really guard him either. And it was just really impressive to see throughout the playoffs because at the beginning of the playoffs, we went from Okay, he's kind of shooting a little bit too many threes, although he's still dominating. And then he completely retooled his game by the end of the finals. He ended up being in more screen and roll action with Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday. And that's kind of the moral of the story with the Milwaukee Bucks. After having two disappointing playoff runs the year bef- the two previous seasons where Giannis was the guy who was operating in ISO at the top of the key, um, also, also it helps that this playoff run, the Bucks weren't playing with Eric Bledsoe, who was objectively terrible on the offensive end, but we saw Giannis basically be stymied by the wall in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Raptors. By the way, we forget in that Eastern Conference Finals against the Raptors in 2019, the Bucks were up by 13 points in Game 3 on the road in Toronto in the fourth quarter, I believe it was... The third quarter heading into the fourth quarter, the Bucks had a 13-point lead, and they gagged it away and lost in overtime. So the Bucks were literally a quarter away from going up 3-0, and we all know what happens when a team goes up 3-0 in a series. But then, of course, they kind of flame out in the bubble, and Miami once again had the personnel, and I keep emphasizing this, teams that 
had success against Giannis in the playoffs, the Raptors, and the Heat. They had the defensive personnel to build the wall around uh, to build the wall around the rim to wall off Giannis, and also the fact that Eric Bledsoe just had no res- just was given no respect on the offensive end, which made things worse. But of course. We don't remember that stuff because we like to forget and slander players, etc. But Giannis was able to figure out the wall. He was able to retool his game. The Bucks got better. Pl- they got an upgrade at the point guard position. They also got better bench depth. I loved the Bobby Portis signing when it happened. You can go to my podcast. You could go to my Twitter and check the receipts. I loved the Bobby Portis signing. I thought he was just going to need some he was going to add some much needed toughness off the bench and then of course the Bucks were able to get PJ Tucker as well. It was just a really successful season for the Bucks and also the last two playoff runs spurred some experimentation. They couldn't play their base defense anymore. They tried switching um more this year they tried running more Giannis off-ball stuff they tried to you know get this roster to work together by the time the playoffs started and it was rocky for a few times uh I mean we all were okay so it starts in game one against Miami it was a slugfest of a game it was kind of a and of course everybody hates the psychoanalyst but we all can see that Miami was a the first game against the Miami Heat was kind of a mental block, mental block game for the Bucks. Because if they won that, if they had lost that game in overtime and it was an ugly game, who knows what would have happened? Who knows what the Bucks' confidence would have been like going up against this team, considering they got trounced in the bubble. Um, and actually, some of those games in the Miami series in the bubble were actually really close; could have gone either way, but they still lost uh, that series. But the Bucks end up winning that game. They get a huge sigh of relief, and then they just absolutely thrash the Miami Heat. They just they swept them out of the building. Sweep, sweep, sweep. And it was over. And then in the Brooklyn Nets series. And yeah, there were some injuries, and I don't want to hear anything about injuries. It was an injury-plagued playoffs, and maybe some series would have turned out differently, but you play the team that's in front of you, and sometimes titles are, to me, some titles are impressive when a team is able to win the war of attrition, and the Bucks were the healthiest team. It's kind of like football. If you're able to stay healthy and win the championship, that is a well-earned, tough championship. But the Bucks were down 0-2 in the series. Game three, Bruce Brown tries to play hero, and it doesn't go well for the Nets, and the Bucks end up winning. Then they end up winning game four. Game five, they were killing the Nets, and then Kevin Durant has one of the all-time great playoff games in NBA playoff history, and the Bucks are shell-shocked. But what do they do? They keep coming back, and that is the other word I would use for the Bucks is resilience. And yes, we all railed against Mike Budenholzer. I have certainly taken my pot shots at, Bud, at uh, Coach Bud. Everybody did. Even Bucks fans took shots at Coach Bud. But they kept trucking along and trucking along. And they end up winning Game 7. And Kevin Durant's big-ass foot was really the difference between the Nets moving on and the Bucks moving on. 
um, the Bucks winning in overtime in Game Seven and then moving on. Then they lose Game One. I, I I'm not gonna. I know the Bucks lost Game One against Atlanta and Trey Young had 48. He had the shimmy and all that stuff. But I really wasn't worried about the Bucks in that series until the Giannis injury in Game Four, and that is the craziest thing to me about this Giannis Finals performance. We all thought he was done with that knee injury. That knee bent backwards in a way that honestly, Joel Embiid's knee injury and Giannis, uh, Joel Embiid's knee injury against the Washington Wizards back in February, and Giannis's knee injury against the Hawks in Game Four are honestly those were two of the most improbable non-ACL, non-MCL, no-tear knee injuries I have ever seen. Because I thought both, at the time, I thought both of those guys were done for the year. But somehow, Joel Embiid just had a bone bruise and a hyperextension, and Giannis just had a hyperextension. And Giannis comes back in Game 1, has 20 and 17. It's a which is insane to say that that's a mild game for Giannis. But then Giannis just absolutely trounced the Suns all series. They had no answer for him. The Bucks were the bigger team. They kept attacking the rim. That's why they kept getting more free throws. They were able to adjust throughout the series. They stopped mindlessly switching on the Suns guards. They were more selective with their switches. They mixed up their coverages. They were able to choke off Chris Paul's effectiveness in the pick and roll. They made the Suns shoot more mid-range jumpers than they wanted to. I know the Suns are a mid-range. They are dominant in the mid-range. Devin Booker is one of the best mid-range players in the game. Chris Paul, the point god, has made his career living off the mid-range jumper, that elbow jumper, that little snake thing he does in the pick and roll to get to the right side of the floor and pull up. But the Bucks didn't panic. They said, go ahead. We would much rather. We would much rather you take mid-range shots than allow corner threes. And here and that is the one thing I noticed as the series went along, especially after game two. So game one, and this is from Cleaning the Glass, game one, the Suns were three of five on corner threes. Game two, they were ten of seventeen on corner threes. Game three, they were 0 for 3. Game four, 1 for 2. Game five, they made both of their only two attempts from the corners. In game six, they were 0 for 2. They were able to adjust really well. They were able to funnel the Suns into shots that they wanted them to take. And look, the Suns especially in game five, were still really good offensively. It's just that the Bucks were able to dominate on the offensive glass. They were able to force the Suns into more turnovers than we normally saw from a well-oiled machine. The Suns were a well-oiled machine in the playoffs. But the Bucks, who had the number one defense in the playoffs, were able to disrupt the Suns, were able to force them out of some things that made them uncomfortable, and that led them to a championship. It it was just it was honestly this was 
the most fun finals I have watched since the 2016 finals. I thought the strategies were so intriguing. One, there was, and yeah, I mean, there was some new blood in the finals. That's what made it really cool is that, yeah, I mean, we all miss LeBron, Steph, Katie, all those guys, but this just goes to show you that the league is the top talent, the top of the league is so expansive now and so big. The talent pool at the top is so big that it was just really cool to see some fresh blood in the finals. Chris Paul finally reached the finals at age 36, and I do kind of feel bad for him for not for him not getting a championship. Been a longtime Devin Booker stockholder, but uh, and I've been a longtime Giannis fan. It was just really cool to see some new blood in the finals, and it was cool to see two teams basically have some defensive battles. There were some good games. Game five was good. Game four was good. Game six was awesome. Even the first two games, even though they were blowout, they weren't. They were double-digit leads. They weren't blowouts. Game three was good too. Giannis dropping a second consecutive 40-point game. Like, the Bucks really did well in this series. And I also thought some key adjustments in this series was just Drew Holiday was just wearing Chris Paul down. Drew Holiday is one of the best defensive guards I have ever seen. And obviously as a Sixer fan, as someone who had a Drew Holiday has a Drew Holiday jersey still, I got that I mean, I told this story on the podcast before. I got a Drew Holiday jersey for my birthday from one of my friends. And then that was actually the same year, like later towards the end of that season. It was a twenty twelve thirteen season. Sam Hinkie gets hired and trades away Drew Holiday to basically kickstart the process. But I was a huge Drew Holiday guy. And so I'm very happy that Drew Holiday got his ring. Um, he was very crucial in Game 5. He shot like shit in this series. But goddamn, his defense was so good on Chris Paul and on Devin Booker. But when, I, I think it was Game 3 when, it felt like it was Game 3 when Bud made the switch to put Drew Holiday mostly on Chris Paul, picking him up full court, making the Suns get into their offensive sets later in the shot clock than they wanted to. I just thought that was really crucial. And Drew Holiday was special on that end. It was literally like Seattle Supersonics, Gary Payton level stuff that we were seeing from Drew Holiday. And then he guarded Devin Booker for a lot of the night in game six. And he struggled. Devin Booker was 0 for 7 from 3. He was 8 for 22 from the field. Drew Holiday took his cookies a couple of times, especially a couple times in game five. Chris Middleton was awesome as a closer. Chris Middleton hit a big shot tonight also to put the Bucks up six with about a minute left. When it was really getting to crunch time, he, he had a terrible turnover in the last minute and a half of the game. I think he was just really gassed at that point. But this is what you pay the big bucks for for Drew Holiday. You Not only did you give up all the draft picks for him, the upgrade for him over Eric Bledsoe was absolutely worth it. The extension, it, it was worth it. Chris Middleton played way better in games three through six. They finally came along and helped out Giannis. 
and now the Bucks are your champions. And I think Giannis has now, and I was th- I'm going to update my tier list later for the uh, Sly Hooper YouTube channel. Um, I haven't even actually published an official tier list yet, but I've been keeping a tier list on my Microsoft OneNote program, and I've been updating it throughout the season, but I created a new t- I, I started the season creating a tier by itself. It was just LeBron, but now I've kind of created... I changed that tier into a grandfather tier where the elder statesmen of the NBA, LeBron, Katie, and Steph are in that top three by themselves. And then, of course, you got the tier one franchise player superstars that are superstars and franchise level players, obviously. But now Giannis is in the grandfathered tier and he is the best player in the world. And he's not even 27 yet. And it's going to be scary. It's going to be scary. And yeah, it seemed like the best player in the world designation was changing throughout the playoffs. Well, that's because it did. Because as LeBron is starting to decline in age and was mortal for the first time, that's when the throne started opening up. And yeah, sometimes it's like a weekly tier list. And I know people, I it's annoying when people think that they're above player rankings and all that stuff. I love X's and O's. I love narratives. Well, not too many narratives, obviously. Not like Ramona Shelburne, you know, Miss Narrative-Based Voter. But I like basketball is the one sport where it's obviously, it's great to play. It's fun to play in. Um, it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch players. But it's the one sport where one player can disproportionately impact a game, which creates storytelling. It creates a superhero-like mythology. And as somebody who likes stories and likes, you know, creative imagination, I kind of gravitate towards that too. And yeah, there's going to be an influx in the changing of who's the best player in the world. And now it's kind of cemented. This is Giannis's league. He's 26. He's entering his prime. The elder statesmen are still right there, but after all the accolades I listed earlier, I don't know how we can say otherwise. And, you know, I would put Kawhi in the grandfathered tier, but the injury's kind of tenuous. He has a torn ACL. I don't know how he's going to look when he comes back. But you can kind of put him in there, too, and that's kind of the top five. And I know Jokic and Embiid, and I know I've said at times that Embiid, when he gets going, I think he's the best player in the world. But that's just that just shows you how deep and talented the league is. But Giannis has the crown right now. Congratulations to the Milwaukee Bucks, to the Milwaukee fans. 50 years in the making that's that's crazy a 50 piece to bring the city its first championship in 50 years that's kind of some poetic symmetry that i can get behind but i just wanted to give my quick reaction to the finals i'm probably going to have some more videos and content in depth talking about the finals later on but as far as this podcast is concerned for the first season under Blue Wire Hustle, uh, thank you for listening. I know the episodes have kind of been sporadic, but um, 
the offseason stuff's not going to stop. Have some big plans for that. Going to have some more hustlers on, fellow Blue Wire Hustle teammates on the podcast to talk about the season, previewing the next season. We got the draft coming up soon. And then, of course, basketball doesn't stop. We got the Olympics coming up also. But uh, expect, like I said in the last pod, expect more videos to come out on the YouTube channel trying to get this thing off the ground. We are rolling. And I recently released, well, recently, yesterday, or two days ago now, I released a Ben Simmons 76ers video. Finally had the energy to talk about that, um, where I wasn't, you know, too emotional or anything like that, obviously. But um, I released a video on that, so go check that out. Got more videos coming down the pike soon. Got some cool off-season videos that I have planned. And, um, yeah, thank you for rocking with me this season. And also thank you for listening to the Box Out Banner podcast that I co-host with Chris Okamura. We will be back on next Monday for that one. Uh, we were, we've were we been off these last two weeks. Obviously, the first, obviously, two weeks ago, I had some very shitty circumstances I had, de- I had to deal with. And then uh, Chris has been in Disneyland with the fam, so with his fam. So, um We'll be back on Monday with that. But as far as this podcast is concerned, stay tuned for more episodes. And really going to do the 25 to 35 minute format for the solo podcast. I think it's really, I think that's really the sweet spot for these. But um, now I'm just rambling. But uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for um, spreading the word. As always, keep spreading the word. Leave a like and a review. Leave a rating. All that good stuff. And, uh, yep, stay tuned until the next episode. Until then, deuces. Deuces.